What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we are joined this week by Dr. Kensa Gunter. Now, I know what you're thinking. Are you related? No. Ken, is this a pseudonym for your dabbling in the field of psychology? No, it is not. Uh, This is sheerly coincidental. She was recommended to me by a close friend. uh, And boy, am I glad that she was. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a certified mental performance consultant. She's actually the president of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. Uh, She is a member of the newly created U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's uh, Mental Health Task Force. And that's actually externally facing, which is really cool. And I make sure to link to it in the show notes. She works with professional, collegiate, and amateur athletes alike on enhancing their mental performance to maximize their potential. Uh, But more broadly, she's just really passionate about breaking down the stigma that exists around mental health and mental illness. So I've talked about it a bit on the show in the past. Uh, Mental illness is something that's afflicted loved ones within my family. So I also think this is a really, really important cause. Um, But more specifically, you know, as a father, as a husband, as a professional, I'm also looking to maximize my potential and find new ways to get better. And so I just think this is a topic, uh, quite frankly, that we can't talk enough about. And she also offers some new perspective on uh, some, some classic sayings that I really enjoyed. So it's a really good episode. If you do enjoy this and you know of someone who might benefit from this or past conversations, please do uh, share it. Uh, ultimately, what I'm doing is you know, trying to introduce you guys to, to interesting people in hopes that it makes a positive impact in your life. So if you have someone who you think would benefit, please do kindly share. Also, if you are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe. And if you would, leave us a rating and review because it certainly helps. Um, if you want to let me know how you're enjoying the show personally, if you have any feedback, go ahead and go to KenGunter.com where you can drop me a line or make sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore professional athlete. Lastly, one more housekeeping item. If you haven't, make sure to stick around to the end when I run it by my wife, Sonia Gunter. We're going to break down the key takeaways uh, and she reveals in this episode something that in six years of marriage, I was not aware of. And quite frankly, I'm disappointed. Um, So we're going to have to rectify that. Okay, without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Kenta Gunter to the show. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. First and foremost, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I am looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, as am I. One, we were catching up before. Uh, as as anyone who's probably clicked on this episode realizes, our names are uncannily <laughs> similar. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the primary difference being one has doctor in front of it and, and the other does not. So. We will be and sure here we to, are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be sure to lean on you for all um, actual advice and perspective. Um, well, yeah, so I was made aware of your work um, and, and you, you're a part of a lot of really kind of prominent organizations, which in itself is impressive. But um, I think like we were just talking about the line that you straddle both between helping athletes with mental performance Um, but more broadly trying to help individuals with mental health, I think Mm -hmm. is probably more important now (laughs) than ever. Yes, I would definitely agree with you. So, so just to kind of provide a little background of my professional identity. So by trade, I am a licensed psychologist um, and I'm also a certified mental performance consultant. And so just like you just stated, that essentially means that I work in both the areas of mental health and mental performance. And essentially, like if I just kind of bottom line it, I'm just trying to help people. My whole goal is to try to help people to get out of their own way and to develop skills that will allow them to move through life mm. in the way that they want to and in the way that works best for them. You know, you said something there that already is really interesting. It's like, I often think about mental performance as like, hey, how do we perform at our absolute best? Like, mm-hmm. um, but 
so often it feels like to perform better, we just have to start getting out of our own way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and, and to, you know, I think sometimes we're always looking outside of ourselves for the next best thing that's going to help us perform better without right. taking inventory of the skills that we may already have, skills that we may have even used in previous moments in our lives, like to help mm. us get to this point. So I think sometimes it's just reminding ourselves of the skills we have and actually using them. I think we tend to abandon the things that work because we don't even realize how important they are to our functioning or to our performance. How much are these skills something that we just kind of learn passively by going through life? And how how much of these skills are things that like are, are a true skill that can be like learned and taught to others? Certainly, I think that there are some things that we can learn kind of just navigating the world and, and, and life as it were. But I do think when we think about mental performance in particular, like the skills that we are talking about are skills that are grounded in research. So things like goal setting, right, being intentional mm. about the way you set goals, talking specifically about self-talk strategies and being very conscious of what you say to yourself. Yeah. Right. Thinking about the ways in which we can be intentional about being more self-aware, staying in the present moment, channeling our focus maintaining motivation, all for the purpose of being able to perform our best when we need to the most. That's certainly what it looks like in the elite athlete world. Yeah. And I think that's also transferable to our daily lives. We're all performing in some capacity. And so just thinking through what are the skills that are important for me to perform at my best? Those, I think, you know, again, we can learn some but it, but there is the opportunity for us to hone those skills through learning a bit more and being intentional about that growth and development. Yeah. My, my self-talk is, is criminal probably. <laughs> but it's true for most people, right? Like I, the way I kind of discussed that is we all have an internal critic right? Yeah. and we all have an internal advocate as well, but our critic tends to be much, much louder. Mm. So some of the skill would be learning to tone down the volume, turn down the volume of the critic and actually allow some room for your internal advocate, right? Yeah. But that person who can encourage you, right? And, and, and we do it for other people. We just have to learn how to do it for ourselves. Would you say, is, is that, well, actually, here's a question for you. What, what, speaking specifically about the elite athletes that you work with, mm -hmm. um, do the challenges or blockers that they tend to work with, do they tend to be kind of universal in nature? Like a lot of the elite athletes are struggling with the same types of challenges or is it really individualized and personal, uh, personal? I would say both, right? Because okay. just thinking about the world of elite sport and everything that goes along with that, there are some common factors that, that athletes who are in that space will experience. So the idea of, um, living your life in the public sphere and oh, constantly yeah. being evaluated, right? And and critiqued, right? Like that's a common experience that they may all have. This idea of having to um, figure out a way to consistently engage in kind of top tier performance is something that they have to manage, right? And so all of those things are just inherent in the world of elite sport. Right. Um, but also there's some challenges like injury. That I mean, that's a part of, of sport participation. And so navigating that, is a common experience, but also at the same time is a unique experience because the extent to which you're dealing with injuries and, and the severity of the injuries differ, differs from person to person. Right. And also I think, you know, remembering this notion that athletes are people. So with that, whatever's going on in their individual lives is also creating a uniqueness in their world that they're having to navigate. So again, it's both. There are some factors that all of them face. There yeah. are also some very nuanced situations that they're navigating. Um, so that's something that I've often wondered too. And again, just, you know, if I think about my own perspective, like when I show up to work each day, like oftentimes the stress or the baggage that I might bring is something that's bleeding over from my personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, when you work with athletes, I mean, how much of the time spent, and maybe you don't even think about it in this way, mm -hmm. but like how much of the time spent is working on like sports specific, um, you know, challenges, I keep using yeah. that word versus like actually helping them cope with all these other stressors that they might be dealing with in just everyday life. Yeah, so, um, to, I don't really think about it in that way. Like okay. I don't divvy up kind of what's personal and what's performance uh, um, okay. because, at the, because at the end of the day, I think, right, like it's all personal and it's all performance in some mm. ways, right? Like if you're having difficulty functioning in any area of your life, that's going to affect you personally, yeah. right? And if you're having difficulty in your personal life and you're trying to perform and show up in a certain kind of way, 
that may be impacted. I think, if, you know, all of us have the capacity to compartmentalize things at certain points. Like, right, we can we can know that we have to go and do this particular task. Like I have to show up to work. Well, not now because we're in COVID, but I have I do have to log into Zoom and do work every day. So right. there's a capacity for me to do that, engage in the work I'm doing and kind of cut off what's going on in my personal life. But but that doesn't mean that the personal concerns go away just because I'm at work. Right. And I think that's the similar mindset that I take with the elite athletes is hmm. if there is something going on that's affecting your ability to show up and be your best. We need to talk about we that. Now, that, that may be something that's happening in your personal life, a relationship, loss of a loved one, just managing the stress of transitioning from one level of sport to another. Or that may be something specific. You're in a performance slump, like things that you know you know how to do well, you're unable to really execute at this moment. Or when you're on the field or on the court, your focus and concentration seems to be off and you're not sure why, right? Regardless of what presents, we focus and meet them where they are and talk about what they're presenting with, but the goal remains the same to help you function better and yeah. to address whatever is getting in the way. Ah, got it. Here's something I've often wondered. Um, and I feel like I do this and I think it's a strength. Um, but you know, how beneficial is compartmentalization? Is that something that is, is just actually like, you know, when done properly, like a healthy way to deal with things? Or is it something that if you go too far in one direction can start to lead to like not, not actually confronting maybe some of these things that are in your life? Exactly. So compartmentalizing mm. to the extent that I need to focus my energy on the task at hand. So I'm going to put everything else on the shelf, focus on what I need to do. And once that task is over, then I can kind of regroup and, and focus on everything at once again, right? Like that is healthy. Like sometimes we just need our focus to be in one area, right? Okay. And that doesn't mean that we're avoiding or denying what's going on in other places. It just means right now this task is important. So this is what I need to focus on, yeah. right? But if it gets to a point where that compartmentalization becomes avoidance, denial, like this, um, kind of belief that that whatever the problems or stresses I'm dealing with, I don't have to face, then that can become problematic. That can uh, become really problematic. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine so. Um, but to your point, it's like there is a time and a place where it's like you have to show up and, you know, it's, it, it, literally, figuratively, like do your job, like right, correct, deal with absolutely. the task at hand. But it sounds like you have to make the time to then go back and address some of these things that you might be shoving to the, the corners, the recesses of your mind. Correct. Like it's not that you're avoiding it hence now and forevermore. But again, you may have a demand on your time and your energy and there may be something that's needed that you have to attend to that allows you to and you have to address that before you can then address the other things that are going on. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, and I think you said as much, you know, that we're all dealing with is trying to operate within this like pandemic altered COVID environment. How, how has that changed the way that you've worked with athletes over the last, you know, nine to 10 months? That's a, that's a huge question. So, I mean, I, you know, I, might need to book another hour. <laughs> right, unpack that right. one, I'm sure. So No, I would say that, I mean, the, the world has shifted, right. For all mm -hmm. of us. Right. I, I don't think there's anybody that can say they have been untouched by the events of this particular year, whether we're talking um, navigating the, the global COVID pandemic. Right. And yeah. the health concerns that go along with that, the ways in which our world and our society kind of has been shut down in some ways because of that and the loss that goes along with that shutdown. Hmm. Um, or if we're talking about the social unrest that emerged during this pandemic and oh, thinking yeah. about some of the racial injustices um, and just societal injustices that have existed and the, the, the call for change that kind of came up, um, even in the midst of us dealing with this other pandemic that we were trying to navigate. And so I think in, in terms of thinking about how how work with athletes has changed, I kind of go back to a point that I said a moment ago, like hmm. athletes are people. And so just yeah. like all of us have been trying to navigate this, they've been trying to navigate it as well. Um, and I think, you know, for all of us, the world has been characterized by uncertainty and the unknown in a way that it hasn't been, you know, in my lifetime, at least I can say, like not a global experience. And so, oh, I think, yeah. you know, there were some athletes, too, who have been trying to navigate that. And for them, you know, the world of sport in some ways is what 
initiated the the shutdown in the first place, right? Like if we think about what happened in the NBA and the positive tests, they shut down on March 11th and so went the society and the world. And so I think for athletes, it, it was, you know, navigating um, the shutdown of the world, like all of us, but also kind of navigating life without sport for a minute, right? When there was no competition, yeah. some, some sports were in season, right? And they just had to stop. And yep. and so what do I do with that? What do I do with this time that I wouldn't normally have? And so, um, I, I mean, for some, I think it was challenging. Certainly you've seen articles pop up where athletes have shared the challenges that they had in yeah. kind of thinking through what do I do now? But also I think there's been opportunities to develop other skills, right? Opportunities hmm. to spend time with family, opportunities to develop and engage in hobbies that they wouldn't normally have time to engage in, but also thinking through how do I maintain training or how do I stay ready for when the world does start moving again and I'm able to get back into the sport, the activity that I love. So I think it was you know, similar to all of us, how do we deal with what's in front of us while trying to prepare for this unknown that's coming next? Do you have any, I guess I'm going to call it like a coping mechanism, but do you, sure. do you have any recommendations for folks? And I, like you said, athletes or people in general for dealing with uncertainty? Like, is there, is there a place where they can start you know, because I think a lot of people just felt like lost. Yes, <laughs> correct. Right. And I think one of the first things to do is just acknowledge that that feeling is valid. Right. Because uh, I think sometimes when we feel what we what we label as difficult or challenging emotions, our tendency is to run right past it and find a fix. Right. Yeah. But if you are in a situation that I is laugh because I'm like, uh, yeah, that's you just right. How do we fix it? Let's fix it really quick. Wait, how do we fix it? <laughs> what do we do? Right. And it's like first just recognize if you felt increased anxiety, increased stress, if you felt, if you feel uncertainty in an uncertain situation, that is normal. Hmm. So I think one of the first things for us to do is to recognize that what we feel in response to the stressful and challenging situation that we're in is okay. Yeah. First, just it's okay. And now it's like, okay, here's where we are. Now, what do I need to do to manage this feeling so that I can continue to move forward, right, in my life and do the things that I need to do, fulfill my responsibilities at home, at work, to myself. Like, how do I do that? And so, again, one is just acknowledging the situation. Two is then identifying, even in the midst of uncertainty, there are things that we can control. Mm -hmm. So what is within your world that you can control, right? Mm. Like you can control setting a schedule for your day to create some familiarity and, and some normalcy in your day, right? From the time you get up to the time you go to sleep, to the activities that you do throughout your day, you can create a schedule that allows you to feel like you have control in your world, even if the external world feels pretty unknown. Yeah. Right. That's one of the biggest things I think. How, how important, uh, you know, I, I love to read about guys like, you know, they, they talk a lot about like Russell Wilson's routine, um, mm -hmm. like LeBron James's routine. Like mm -hmm. how how critical is routine to success, especially yeah. for an athlete, but also like you said, you know, for someone who's dealing with a pandemic and just trying to go to work. Yeah, I think I think the routine allows you again to feel like there's a sense of control that you have over your environment. And it always it also creates a sense of normalcy. Right. Uh, if I know if I know the structure that I have in place for my day, then I'm not scrambling to figure out what my day is going to look like. But my and, and so I, I can trust that, OK, I have a schedule. That's what I want my day to look like. Now I don't have to spend all of my time thinking about that. If I need to make an adjustment because something unexpected comes up, now I have the energy to think about that. So I'm not on a daily basis thinking about every little decision that I'm making because I have the routine and the structure set up. Right. But if something unexpected happens, now I have the bandwidth to make the adjustment. So I don't have to I don't have to do anything other than, again, try to control what I can or actually control what I can and trust myself to make the adjustment should something unexpected come up. Yeah. And you said something there, too, that I've, I've thought about and I, I wish I had like the right. I don't know. What, what's the word vocabulary for this? But um, there, there is like mental energy that's expended when you're making each and every decision on the fly. And I, I do find that in my yes. own day-to-day -day life. Like when I stick to my routine, um, you know, in a sense, I go through the motions, but most of those things that exist in my routine are there because like, I believe they're positive for me. Exactly. Um, but on the days where I'm just like constantly having new things thrown at me or my schedule has been completely flipped around on mm -hmm. its head, I do feel like a little bit of a mental drag. 
Yeah, and you can almost feel like you're just being pulled in a lot of different directions rather than right. kind of choosing which direction that you want to move in, right? And that that is draining. And I think the other thing that it does when you set a schedule and create a routine, it allows you to identify what's important and to create space for that in your day. Ah, Otherwise, the things that we think are important could easily fall by the wayside if I'm just kind of making my schedule up as I go, right? Mm-hmm. Because things always take longer than I thought they would, right? Or it's more involved than I thought it would be. But again, creating that schedule and routine says, okay, this is important to me, right? So for example, breakfast, that's important to me. So I'm going to schedule that, right? Yeah. Like in my workday, carving out a lunchtime is important to me and not a lunchtime where I say it's lunch, but I'm actually still working. But like creating breaks in my day is important. So I'm going to schedule that. A lot of people know for themselves that exercise makes them feel good, but sometimes they don't schedule it. So it doesn't happen. If it's important to you, put it on your schedule, right? And And, stick to it and treat it as, yeah. And to the extent that you can stick to it, right? Because again, I don't want there to be this sense of rigidity along with it, but Hmm. the schedule does give you structure. And in a time of uncertainty where things are rapidly changing and so much is changing at once, if you can create some feeling of certainty somewhere, that can be really helpful for folks. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, and I think, well, actually, now we were talking about college before we started recording, mm-hmm. um, and people are gonna be like, "Give me a break," but <laughs> it's so funny. I remember it was always interesting to us, but like guys always did better in school in season, which is so mm-hmm. counterintuitive because you have so much less time. Yes. Uh, you have either training in the morning, and then you have practice, and yep. then you have whatever it is, but like the amount of time you actually had to study and prepare was like minimal. But because we had that routine and there was that hour blocked in theory for most sure. folks, uh, <laughs> where they were going to study or do their work, like they actually performed so much better than when in, we were in the spring and just right. were like left to our own devices. Because there was very little question about what you needed to do, even though you had very little free time, as it were, your time was allocated and you knew what was expected of you at different times throughout the day. Right. And so knowing what's expected, knowing the task that I have to do now, I just do it. Right. right? As opposed to trying to figuring out what to do. One of the things that I do often hear from athletes is, and and this is more when I work with my college athletes, because I worked in collegiate sport for several years before the work that I'm doing now. Um, they would say, I don't know what to do with my free time. Like, what am I supposed to do? Right. And, I, you know, and, and I think as I say that out loud, I think about how that translates to, you know, just the general population. There are some mm-hmm. ways in which I think we are so um, addicted to productivity. Oh, man. Right? Like we have to be productive. And so this we villainized rest. And we villainized free time, right? And so yeah. we feel like we're constantly supposed to be doing, 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 going, 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 producing, producing, producing. And that too can create a real drain on our physical and our mental energy. Um, but it's it's hard for us to just detach and to see detach as a part of the process for being successful and, and managing our, our lives and our mental health. So I completely relate to this. Someone who has a full-time job, kids, and then decided to start a podcast. You, mm-hmm. you might you might see some of the other uh, signs. Um, okay, so for someone to detach, like it, this is going to sound like a stupid question, but like you said, a lot of people uh, have a tough time doing this. Like, what is like the right way to detach, or like you know, like what does that actually mean in practice? Because like sometimes I'll sit down to do nothing, but I fill that nothingness with like reading a book reading an article mm-hmm. about business, like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what should people doing to be detaching in a healthy way? I, I, I guess the way I think about detaches, because to your point, it doesn't necessarily mean just sit still, do nothing and stare at the wall. Right. Because that, that, what is the purpose of that? Right. But yeah. I think that when I think about detaching, I think about, and this is going to, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I think about the Not idea of focusing on being rather than focusing on doing. Right. So if you are engaging in an activity where you're just kind of immersed in the activity for the pure enjoyment of that activity. Right. Yeah. That's that's a feeling of being to me like you're doing something that feeds you, that feeds your soul, that you enjoy, as opposed to doing something for the express purpose of getting some result or getting to some outcome. Right. So when you talk about sitting and reading a book, 
Great. I think of that as a great way to detach, yeah. right? Because it's taking you away from the pull to be productive, the pull to focus on the result and the outcome, which sometimes uh, results in us missing the enjoyment of the process, mm-hmm. right? So if you're sitting down to binge a Netflix show, go for it, right? Because again, that's you enjoying in something, you engaging in something that you enjoy that is feeding you and, and helping to recharge you, right? Same thing, if you're spending time with friends on a virtual call, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's allowing you just to 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 feed off of the energy of the people in your support system, right? And again, it's this idea of just being which for me is engaging in an activity purely for the enjoyment of it versus striving towards some outcome or result or some some feeling or sense of productivity. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that actually really does help clarify it. So I'm glad I asked the stupid question. <laughs> and I would also say one more thing to that is with being you're in the moment, right? Yeah, like you're okay. not focused on the past. You're not thinking toward the future, but you really are immersed in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard it described as engage in an activity where time doesn't matter. Right. If you've ever engaged in an activity and you've been so in the activity that you don't even think about how much time it takes or how much time is passing by. That's you being engrossed in that moment. And that, I think, is what we have difficulty with. But I think it's so important. Um, for our mental health and just for our overall well-being is to be able to detach and just be as opposed to constantly doing. Yeah. And, you know, this this tends to be something that, that comes up consistently. I, I've been fortunate to have um, a couple guests on the show who in some way deal with like mental performance, whether it be with athletes specifically or, you know, working with, in some sort of like uh, therapeutic way. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that seems to be like a consistent theme, right? The, the need to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working with your athletes, like, do, you know, talking about how some of this stuff is a skill, do you have any sort of like practices that you recommend um, or suggest that they try to actually work on becoming better at being present? Mindfulness. Mindfulness, Mindfulness would be the number one um, practice that I would recommend. There are several apps, <clears throat> excuse me, that people can use in order to help them to develop that skill because it is a skill. Um, And it's also challenging, right? So Headspace, Calm are two of the most popular apps that people use, but mindfulness is quite literally the practice of being in the present moment. And it's, it's contrary to what people may think. Mindfulness is not about sitting still and not thinking, right? Mm. We are thinking beings. We're going to think thoughts are going to run through our minds. Mindfulness is the practice of, Um, When your thoughts start running, being able to redirect your thoughts back to the present moment, like that is actually the muscle, if you will, that's being exercised when you engage in mindfulness. Yeah. Being able to recognize when your thoughts start to go and being able to redirect them back to the present moment is what mindfulness helps you to do so that you can feel like you have more control over directing your thoughts and channeling your focus. Hmm. Right. In the ways that you need to. Um, and there are a host of, of physical benefits. I mean, certainly it decreases the stress response in the body and and just being able to um, be present and, and to exist in your environment without judging everything in your environment. That's another element of mindfulness that really is beneficial for folks. And so that's my number one go to mindfulness. Yeah. Well, and you're a former athlete as well. Right. Yes. So my first sport was swimming and then I switched to basketball and I, you know, for full disclosure, uh, none of this happened in college. This was all prior to college. In college, I was an all-star student is what I like to say. (laughs) And I did participate in intramurals. But yeah, swimming and basketball were my 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 first loves in sport. Yeah. So it's uh, and the reason I ask, too, is like, you know, thinking back to my own athletic background, sport was one of the easiest places for me to get into like, uh, you know, I didn't think about it in terms of like mindfulness. I probably talked mm-hmm. about like being in the zone yep. and now, you know, I hear the, the term flow state. Um, but you know, just so solely focused on what you were doing, mm-hmm. um, that like nothing else seems to matter and talk right. about time slowing down and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those kind of benefits. Um, it's just, it, is that something that you find that you also have to work with your elite athletes on? Or do they do they tend to be a little bit better at getting themselves in that state already just by nature of like the level at which they're playing sport? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, once you get to a certain level, like 
they they know themselves right and they know what's needed in order for them to achieve that that very tight congruence between where they are and what they need to do right hmm. now there may be things that get in the way of that right and so some of the work or, or much of the work that we may do um, involves kind of moving some of those roadblocks to allow them to tap into that skill that they know that they have but at that level like they know they know their sport, whether it's baseball or basketball or swimming, like they know what they're doing. And so it is helping them to consistently bring forth the skills that they possess or to teach new skills to help them achieve that state on a regular basis. Yeah. And I guess that almost ties back to like getting out of your own way a little mm-hmm. bit, right? So that you can get back to like skill acquisition or right. um, calling upon like the skills that you've like actually trained when you need it most. Absolutely. And and the getting in the way sometimes can take the form of perfectionism, right? Thinking oh, yeah. that you're supposed to be perfect as opposed to thinking that you're supposed to be excellent and striving for that. It's striving for this idea of never making a mistake or oh. if a mistake is made, it's holding on to it and never letting it go, right? Like that's that's perfection. And, and there's no one in any sport or in any industry anywhere that has achieved perfection, right? So that's one of the biggest ways that I see it manifest. The other way that I can see it manifest is in holding on to expectations, like having this idea that others are um, uh, are putting these expectations or placing these expectations on them and feeling like they have to reach some certain level in order to be okay or to be deemed successful, right? And so mm. it's, it's a lot of it is a lot of the... Many of the roadblocks can be internally driven, okay. um, but it really is about, um, like I said, helping them to kind of write their story, if you will, and recognize what's needed for you to perform at your best. Let's do that. Let's not yeah. compare to other people or try to do what other people are doing. Let's figure out the regimen and the routine that allows your excellence to emerge and help you consistently engage in those skills and that that strategy. Yeah, and I, I you said something there that really... Uh, kind of gave me pause and, and seems like a really important distinction and maybe you can explain expand on mm-hmm. it a little bit further but can you talk about the difference between striving for perfection and what striving for excellence looks like because i agree like when you strive for perfection you're setting yourself up to lose because you just, it's impossible right especially, right especially in the world of sport like it's never going to come um uh, but that this idea of like striving for excellence it feels like a bit of like a better north star so to speak, to like shoot for. Yeah. So when I talk about the difference between the two, I mean, perfection, certainly we know that perfection doesn't exist. Right. And I think Mm. what this notion of perfection suggests, though, is that success is a straight line and that failure, setbacks and disappointments have no place in the process. Right. But they absolutely have a place in the process because that's where a lot of the learning and the adjustments so that you can move towards excellence comes from. Right. Mm. And so I think the other thing that that stands out with me as it relates to perfection is Sometimes that's less about what you're actually doing and more about your how you think others perceive what you're doing, right? Others' judgments about what you're doing. So if somebody else likes it, then it's cool, right? And and if somebody else deems it to be great, then your your measuring stick is what other people think. I think that's also a piece of what lives within perfection. On the other hand, excellence is you kind of identifying what's my baseline, where am I trying to go? And that's where some of the mental skills can come into play, right? Setting goals that allow you to elevate your performance in order Mm. to get to a higher level of excellence, right? And excellence is something that we can compare myself today to myself three months ago, right? And that's how I can measure my excellence. It's not dependent upon other people, right? And it's something that, again, allows me to recognize my growth not to just recognize what I deem to be my success. Yeah. Right. No, that, that really does help clear it up too. And I, I've also, um, I wish I could remember who said it, but you know, it's, it's like you, you really can't compare yourself to anyone else. Everyone had different circumstances, even, even a brother, right. Your dynamic within the family, mm-hmm. you know, the difference of like the environment that you grew up in just based upon that, the, the difference of a few years, um, and so you, you know, you can compare yourself. It just doesn't help you. Right. Uh, because it it doesn't take into account the unique strengths and gifts that you have. Right. Because right. comparing yourself to somebody else and trying to do what somebody else is doing may actually be equivalent to you putting a ceiling on yourself. Hmm. Right. And so 
it's it, and it's hard because we the comparison is all over our culture, right? Like if I think about social media and the uh, ways in which it's very easy for us to now compare to other people, the stats that we produce. I mean, you know, we compare everywhere. Um, but if we can acknowledge that that is a part of the world that we live in, but also take a step back and allow my goals and and what I'm striving for to be my guiding star then we can focus more on like my competence and my achievement. And again, my growth as opposed to my comparison to someone else. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and just to put a bow on this, understanding mm-hmm. how important routine is, um, you know, just for athletes, for individuals alike, are there any things that you, that you would deem to be really important Um to a good morning routine, like, you know, understanding people might have different eating habits or, you know, they mm-hmm. might not be into, like, what are the sort of things that you say, like, Hey, this is really worth at least considering adding to a morning routine. Yeah. There are a lot of people that will say the idea of getting up at the same time every day is really important to a morning routine because right. it just kind of allows your body physically to get into a certain rhythm and a groove. And, and also it again, creates a level of consistency and, and normalcy to your day for you. So that's one thing. Um, other people have different elements to their routine in terms of, do I eat breakfast? Is it a big breakfast? Is it a small, you know, they have a lot of different variations to that. I guess I, I would say one thing that could be really important for a morning routine now is, you know, a lot of us are working from home, right? And engaging yeah. in activity from home. And I know I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of having a meeting at 10, rolling out of bed at 930 and getting on Zoom and there we go, right? Yeah. So I would say one of the things that could be helpful for a morning routine is to carve out a bit more time to actually start your day, to be intentional about starting your day. Yeah. Whether that is, reading the paper, reading a devotional, watching the news, having coffee with a loved one who's in the home with you, um, having coffee with a friend who's not with you and having a virtual coffee connect before you start your day. But like being intentional about how you start your day rather than just starting the day at a, at a race pace. Yeah. And for some people, they also might do meditation in the morning, right? They might do a five minute meditation to just kind of be intentional about setting the stage for your day. I think that can be a game changer for many people. Well, and it's so funny because, of course, I, I think I don't think we were recording yet, but I told you, like, of course, last night I slept terribly. Like I, I have a 11 month old and then a mm-hmm. three year old and soon to be six year old. And uh, last night was not good for me or my wife. Mm-hmm. And so this was one of those mornings where I had a routine that I was going to do. And mm-hmm. then, of course, I was like, no, I need to like catch up on sleep because it's going to be a tough one. And just that feeling of like already being behind the eight ball or like I'm mm-hmm. already like behind. Yeah. Um, I noticed it like created stress mm-hmm. to the point where like I had to go and apologize to my wife. Be like, look, I'm really sorry. I've got this. <laughs> I've got this interview going on and I'm mm-hmm. like behind that. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> this is not right. about you. But to be fair, that's life, right? Because no right. matter how many plans we set, how many routines we have, like life inevitably is going to happen. And so in that moment, I would say, instead of like focusing on the fact that I wasn't able to execute my routine in the way that I like to identify, okay, so what's the adjustment that I need to make? And you named it, right? Like I need a bit more sleep to this morning, that's going to be the most important thing for me. Right. And so doing that and giving yourself permission to do that really, really important. Um, And then if there are ways for you to, you know, take a pause, let's say after this, right. If there are ways for you to take a pause and create a break during your day that allows you to kind of regroup, do that. But, you know, again, nothing is perfect. And so if we have a day where we don't have our routine, you know, unfold flawlessly, just be able to make the adjustment and realize that making the adjustment is also performing and moving forward and, and being able to um, navigate the moment. Yeah. Okay. That helps. That does. Yeah. Help. <laughs> um, so actually if we could switch gears a sure. little bit, I, I, I feel like this was um, I would love to learn more about this, but I also feel like it says a lot. So you are a member of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's new mental health task force. Yes, they have their external mental health task force. And is that, and it's new, right? This is a new, mm-hmm. so it is. 
you know, to me, that says a couple things. I would love to hear about what you're doing, but it also seems like there is an increased focus and awareness around mental health. And like, you know, this new task force being created is just like one of the kind of like signs of that being true. I would say that's an accurate um, perception that I think in the world of sport in general, there is an increased focus on the need to provide mental health resources and have them available for not only athletes, but also for coaches and then for um, other individuals who are working and existing in the performance space, right? Like I think about athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches and physical therapists who are operating in the sport space. Like they too are, um, you know, trying to navigate these very intense schedules and these intense demands to perform at a high level. And so I think there is an increased awareness of, you know, we can focus on physical health, but if we don't focus on what's happening with folks mentally and emotionally, we're missing a huge part of what makes up our overall health and well-being. So, yes, I think the task force represents that um, focus within the USOPC. And then I think you see it with other leagues as well. So within the NFL and the NBA over the last couple of years, both of them has, have issued press releases that have outlined the fact that each team has to have a designated clinician that's mm. available as a resource for their players. And then you also oh, wow. see, you know, within major league baseball, they have historically, they have had mental performance consultants um, to be a part of their teams to help with the skill development and the mental skill development as it relates to performance. Um, but they also have resources. Now they're increasing the resources that are available as it relates to mental health. Because I know earlier I talked about the two for me, it's kind of like, you know, mental health is performance, mental performance is health. Yeah. But also there is some distinction, right? Like when we think about mental health, um, that does include like addressing personal issues, but also that includes helping people to navigate diagnosable conditions. So if somebody oh, yeah. has and, and deals with a mental illness, like a mental health professional would come in to help them navigate that illness and kind of restore functioning, whether that's through counseling or whether that's through, you know, referrals to a psychiatrist for medication. So there is a very significant component there that is distinct from mental performance, right? So that's the mental health side. And then we go back to the mental performance side. It is a person is functioning relatively well, but they still want to enhance their ability to mentally engage and to mentally have that, that part of their performance in their game to be as strong as their technical game or the physical aspect. And so, and that that's where the separation comes into play, right? And, and those professionals work very collaboratively together. And I think that too is something that is, um, being seen within the sport world is this understanding of the importance of having somebody to address mental health, but also mental performance and allowing those professionals to work together to provide comprehensive services. And this is happening at the collegiate level as well. Yeah. And do you feel, and so, you know, I've uh, on this show, I, I've tried to be more open about it. And sadly, my, my father passed away, but he, he did suffer from mental illness, um, specifically, you know, bipolar, predominantly mm -hmm. mania. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, as I've gotten older, I've realized like how big of an impact that even had on my own life. And it's also, mm -hmm. I mean, I love my father, uh, but I have a lot more compassion for just all the things he was able to do while dealing with that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest things that I felt growing up was like the stigma sure. that was associated yeah. with that. And mm -hmm. to the point where, um, not for like personal fear of embarrassment or the way that people would look at me, just the fear of the way that people would then judge my father if they had that information. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel, and I know there's been some really notable athletes who have stepped forward and kind of said like, Hey, I struggle with this. And they're kind of trying to break down some of that stigma. Do you feel like we have made really positive changes moving forward in kind of like deconstructing some of that stigma or is it, is there still a lot of work to be done? Both. So I think we have made some strides toward um, providing more education, increase awareness and thereby decreasing some of the stigma. But yeah. I do think we still have a ways to go. Um, and, and, you know, I think about historically, right. Um, we didn't talk about mental health 
like mm-hmm. in any spaces, right? Like I, right. when I when I think about um, even in doctor's offices, right? Like you would go to the doctor's office, they would ask you about your physical symptoms. They wouldn't ask you necessarily how you've been feeling or if you've been feeling depressed or anxious, right? Like we just didn't talk about mental health. It was something that kind of existed in the shadows that was taboo and that had these other negative associations attached to it, right? So, you know, if you would ask somebody when you hear the phrase mental health, what do you think about? People right. might say, oh, someone who's, quote unquote, crazy or weak or who can't take care of themselves right. or needs medication or needs to be hospitalized. Right. And all of those are negative stereotypes that do not reflect the complex experience of what it is to potentially live with a mental illness. Right. Mm. It also does not communicate the fact that mental illness is treatable, that there is treatment that's available to help. Right. But we we because you one of the things that I think is because we can't see it, it's hard for us to make sense of it. I can see a sprained ankle. I can see a broken leg. I can look on the scan and see what's going on with someone physically. But there is no scan to tell me what's happening with my emotional life. There is no scan to say or to have somebody understand why um, I may feel depressed even though externally it may appear that everything in my life is okay, right? There's mm-hmm. there's no stand for that. And so I think what that requires us to do, though, is to have, what you said, a bit more compassion, right? A bit more empathy, a mm. bit more understanding that just because something doesn't happen in my world and in my experience doesn't mean that it doesn't happen for someone else, right? Yeah. And the more we educate people and have them understand that, Mental health conditions are really health conditions, right? Like it's it's a health condition that we need to treat. Um, and the more we increase access to treatment, right? Because I think that's the other thing, right? Like historically, from I, and I could go on a soapbox about this, but the yeah. access to treatment, right? The access to providers, um, making sure that insurances cover it so that you can actually get to the services that you need. Like that's been a challenge as well. That's been a barrier for some people. Mm-hmm. In addition to some of the familial stereotypes and cultural stereotypes that might exist around what it means to focus on and talk about mental health. I do think yeah. that a lot of our athletes, um, in different sports who have come out in recent years and talked about it have really helped to move that needle forward. I also think, unfortunately, some of the tragedies that have happened have also brought that to the highlight. I think about Robin Williams. I think about Anthony Bourdain. Um, I think about Kate Spade. um, And I think about, you know, countless other prominent figures who have either um, lost their battle with the, the mental illness that they were trying to deal with, that they were, that they were dealing with, um, or that have also come out and publicly talked about their challenges in this space. I think all of that has brought it more to the awareness of society in general and helped to decrease the stigma and increase the compassion. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, you also said empathy too, which mm-hmm. is just so important. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a few minutes left here. One of the things I would love to get your take on, I have young kids, a lot of people who listen, I'm sure do, uh, or they intend to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, dealing with young athletes, like what, when when you work with coaches, when you work with trainers and educators, um, are there any kind of like, you know, things that you would would say are, are great advice when dealing with youth athletes to make sure that like you're setting them up for success. And I don't mean necessarily winning championships. Oh, well, uh, that's the, that's the first thing. Okay. D- expand the definition of success, right? Ah. For kids participating in sports should be fun, yeah. right? Like, of course, do we, we everybody wants to win. Most people want to win. Right. And so we know that, that trying to be competitive and trying to win and perform well is a part of it as well. But I think don't lose the fun element of Mm. the sport. I also think the other thing there is when you talk about youth sports, like coaches are also teachers, right? And I think understanding that teaching is a huge component of coaching at all levels, but definitely at that youth sport level, I think is really important too. Um, And understanding that the kids don't know unless you teach them, right? Mm. I mean, this idea that they're automatically going to know about leadership and, and, and teamwork and what it means to be unselfish and, and, and that they're going to understand how to handle disappointment, that teach them how to lose, teach them how to deal with a loss, teach them how to deal with 
not starting or not getting the playing time, right? Like that's a part of the lessons that go into it. And, and teaching a kid how to do that is a level of success, right? So mm. again, expanding that idea of what success is, understanding that this is a developmental age for your kids. You want them to have fun. You want them to develop skills. You want them to grow, um, allow space for them to do that. And I think if, if coaches and parents come together to create that environment, it allows for youth sport to be the, the developmental space that it really can be. Um, I think that this win at all cost culture has impacted our youth sports to a degree. I mean, it's many youth sports now are kind of like a mini pro league. Um, yeah. And I think that's really challenging. Um, but I, I do think if there are ways in which you can teach the lessons that come from participating in sport and treat the kids like kids, that can help to shift some of their experience as well. And, and the last thing I would say is, and this is true for all people, um, people want to know that you care before they care that you care what you know. Hmm. Right. And so remembering to treat them as people and, and show that care and compassion in the same way that you would want someone to show that for your child if they were on, you know, if you were the coach of a team that their child was on. Yeah. No, I love that. And, you know, I just, I feel like probably most people have seen uh, when, when coaching a kid goes awry mm -hmm. uh, and taking the fun out of the game. So I, I feel like that's all incredible, incredible advice. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. This, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate well, it. I appreciate it too. And I, you know, I hope, I hope I'm glad that it's been a good conversation and I hope that certainly your listeners take something from it. You know, sometimes oh, I, it's, absolutely. it's just, it's, it's, it's my wheelhouse, right? So I could talk about it all day. I'm certainly passionate about it, but I, I really do appreciate any opportunity to just share more about how we can be more mentally healthy together. Absolutely. Well, and so that, that's a good point for, for people who uh, would like to find out more about what you're doing um, and would maybe like to follow along. Wh where would you recommend that they do that? The best place they can do that for me would be on Twitter. Um, okay. And I guess my handle is at Dr. Kenza, D-R-K-E-N-S-A. Um, simply put, that's me. Um, and that's where you can follow along. I, I tend to post a lot of stuff about mental health, mental performance, athletes, and culture. Awesome. That's, that's what I do. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much. This, this has been amazing. Thank you. And have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Then, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> Talking about the plants, succulents? Uh... Yeah, we can start there. Actually, start right now. Okay. Well, I did want to talk to you. So once we get this up on YouTube, which we've been talking about now for months, mm -hmm. um, we have some really nice foliage yeah, up in the go. podcast room. Yeah. And uh, what most people probably don't know is I actually do all my own watering. Oh, yeah. I'm very diligent. I actually, uh, in this COVID world, it's actually one of my little moments of zen throughout the day. <laughs> so Well, that's... Our first problem. If you're watering every day, that's our first problem. Okay. No, so I'm not. I take it back because I figured that's where your mind was going to go. Okay. Uh, I'm not. Okay. I would say twice a week, three okay. every three to four days. Is that enough? Um, first, yeah, there, there are three very different types of. Plants. Okay. So let's go through it. I, we have some ferns. Yeah. Ferns you could probably that you're staying twice alive. a week. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are these big ones? Those these big leafy, um, fig trees. These are fig trees. Yeah. Wait, these will grow figs. No. Oh, but they're fig trees. Yeah. Hold on. But these trees won't grow figs. <laughs> yeah. So if this tree doesn't like grow a fig, fig where do figs come from? Hmm. Hold on. Maybe they do grow figs. Okay. You know what? We, we will circle back next quick. week because I'm not going to make people sit here and listen to you scroll through Google. Uh, but let's get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is you picked out a really nice succulent. Yeah. I don't think they grow figs. All right. Well, they're fiddly figs. Now I know what I'm doing as soon as we wrap this up. I got to know where <laughs> figs come from. Trees. <sighs> just not these ones. Just not these ones. Okay. Fine. <gasps> I don't this know. Maybe succulent, they do. I could be wrong. This succulent. Yes. I have kept this alive now for about a, mm, how eight often, months. How often do succulents in the desert get rain? Well, so I, I just, I give them a, everything else gets watered. These get a dabble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're doing it too much. Too much, but they've been thriving. Yeah. But you've been, so I think the last few months. So that's what I, th I, I thought you would take this route. 
I anticipated this. I anticipated <laughs> that you would have thought that this was my fault, which is fine. Okay. That's your default. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what I think happened is, yes, these are desert plants. Mm-hmm. It's cold up here. We haven't had heat on in the podcast room while uh, we were away. No. I think they might be, uh, they might have gotten, you know, a little cold freeze. Does that mean it's not your fault? I think so. I think that absolves me <laughs> okay. of any and all wrongdoing. <laughs> yeah. I've got a really nice hanging plant. Um, yeah, that's, that plant is thriving, but yeah, you, thriving. those are really hard to kill. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I think. <gasps> all right, let's move on. The people are tired of the plant talk. Although, boy, that'd be a fun podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's several out there. So let's start with this. And I don't want to make too big of a deal of it, but how similar are our names? Yeah. <laughs> and can I say just once, That's just, funny. just once, I would like to meet someone else who has the same name, who is not way more accomplished than I am. <sighs> like, could I just meet someone <laughs> named Ken Gunter? I run into a few. Dad? Yeah, but my dad was a badass. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What about your son? He's also a cooler little. Than you. He's he's so much cooler. His <laughs> hair alone, um, man. But yeah, just small world. And shout out to Cat Welch for making uh, the recommendation, uh, because yeah, once I learned about the work she was doing, I was just like, we have to get her on the show. Yeah. Regardless of just wanting to meet someone with a very similar name, uh, doing really cool stuff, um, both in the world of like sports performance, trying to raise awareness for mental health. Uh, she also does a lot um, with regards to, you know, everything that's going on kind of culturally and civil rights issues. And so I, I was super honored to have her on the show. And she had some really good, good points. It made yeah. the takeaways this week really easy for me. And yeah. I know that we were aligned on the first one. <laughs> for sure. Do you want to take it? Oh, thank you, Kenny. Kicking it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Just savvy podcasting vet. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Um, she said it's all personal and it's all performance. Mm-hmm. So like you can't really separate the two because I think you had asked her whether she like m- makes a point of making them a different conversation. She was like, well, they're, they're one in the same. Yeah. I thought I was asking a really good question. I know. And, and I gave her like, an out. Oh, I was like, yeah, oh. but maybe you, maybe you don't think about it that way. She's like, well, I don't. <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> uh, here's why you're wrong. But no, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's kind of why I was asking. Right. Cause mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous that we even have to say this, but like these athletes are people too. <laughs> you know, like they have parents, they have spouses, they have kids, they have bosses they don't like. Like it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, just under a microscope with a lot of pressure. So that, yeah, that made sense. But, you know, also like that applies. Why are you looking at me that way? Uh, I was, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, you're just, you're just zoning off behind me? No, I was looking at you. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't know I was doing a weird face. No eye contact. <laughs> But it's a good point. It's like they, they are one in the same because whatever, no matter where it's coming from, if anything is like hampering you from performing at your best and it, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. 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 So no. stop giving me so much grief before I log on to check emails at work. Okay. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do my best. You're dragging, you're dragging down my email response times. <laughs> um, let's see. What else did I have for you? The next one that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this has been said, but just the the way that she kind of phrased it it was just really concise but 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 really clear mm-hmm. um striving for perfectionism versus striving for excellence right with perfectionism and actually going back to the conversation we had with Dr. Margaret Rutherford like it, you will never attain perfection you're setting yourself up for failure right um i don't think that means that we should say don't, don't like strive to do your very best. Right. And often that's what people mean. Like when like, you know, they're shooting for perfectionism, but I think reframing it as like, you know, striving for excellence, like doing something to the best of your ability, but understanding that like, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. And I think she mm-hmm. said as much, it's like, ironically, those are at those stumbles and those shortcomings. Those are actually the things that you learn from mm-hmm. that actually might enable you to truly reach your potential. Versus right. just like getting it right all the time. Yeah, you're kind of putting a ceiling on your potential when you strive for perfectionism. Bam. <laughs> kind of. What else did you think about? Did you re- did you, that any of that resonate with you? Would you consider yourself a perfectionist? No. 
<laughs> Would you consider me a perfectionist? No. <laughs> but I just wanted to Were hear. Were you just like trying to lob up a mind fuck? Whoa. Language. <laughs> uh, and no, I wasn't. I was just trying to, you know, get a little back and forth going for oh the people. Oh my God. That just reminded me of in um, Mean Girls when she's like, you Here look really pretty. And she's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, so you think you're pretty? <laughs> All right. You know what? Two points to you for the Mean Girls reference. Because uh, I don't think we've had one yet. And we no, I think we have. Have we? Yeah, I think we. Yeah, wow, I can't dude. remember what it was. I think we have. It's a brilliant show. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if Lindsay Lohan's available. I'll check in with her. Yeah. Um, okay. So perfectionism versus excellence. Bam. Mm -hmm. Point two in the can. Uh, number three. Another one that has been said, but she said it a different way. And I absolutely loved it. You know, I made the, the comment that like, Hey, you, you know, you can't compare yourself to others. And she was like, no, well, actually you can, uh, but what you probably, you know, you shouldn't. And I was like, okay, fine. Good point. And then she said something that I thought was really important with regards to perspective is like, look, no, no one has your strengths. No one has your specific gifts. They don't have your set of experiences, right? Same thing for challenges and obstacles that you've overcome. But, you know, one of the downsides of comparing yourself to someone else can be that you might actually put a ceiling on your potential. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you might be comparing yourself to someone because like that's kind of like what you want to strive for. But what you might not recognize is like you're actually capable of a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like everyone does that in today's day and age, though, with like social media and like you see what they want you to see. And it's there's just like a lot of comparing no. and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's worse now than it is ever. Yeah. And actually, like focusing on the athletes for a second, you know, like there was always uh, sports news. Right. But it used to be highlights. It mm -hmm. used to be like news pertinent to the actual contest. Yeah. Now it's like there's, I mean, I don't even know how many cable network channels where all they do is compare. They compare these guys or gals against folks that they're playing against, people from other generations. So uh, unhealthy. It's crazy, but like we thrive on it. But then just also to your we point. We do, like but how do they do? Everyday life. What do you mean? Like people love watching that. But oh, yeah. How, what must that do to them? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, the microscope that athletes today are under yeah is insane but to your point like just the constant like social media i don't want to get on my my old man high horse here <laughs> but you're absolutely right it's like constantly seeing we just talked about this a few episodes like the greatest hits right the selected snippets of someone's life that have oftentimes sadly are actually edited mm -hmm. and then you can't help but see that be like oh man i wish i was in bali yeah. <laughs> I do wish I was in Bali. Man, I wish I got that sweet Trans Am. Oh my God. Is that a movie quote? <laughs> no, that's just. I thought that was from like Back to the Future or something. Whoa. No, that would be a DeLorean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But that would also be nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can't compare yourself to others. If you could go back in time and do one thing, what would you do? Whoa. So, you know, what's funny because you mentioned Back to the Future. I've often thought. Oh, wait, Back to the Future. Do they? I've never seen it. Do they go? What? Do they go to the future or do they go back in time? Uh, uh, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. How long have we been married? Mm, Six years? Eight years. Eight years. No, sorry. Six years. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I missed two of those. Um, okay. We've no, this, this actually years. seems like this might be a more important use of our time. We have to switch gears here. Okay. Uh, okay. So back to the future. Initially, Michael J. Fox has to go back in time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's the first one. He goes back in time. I'm trying to remember what happens between Biff and his dad. I can't believe I'm spacing on this now. Oh You're embarrassing me on my own podcast. Um, so basically he jumps in the DeLorean, uh, he has to go back in time and what ends up happening is he starts to mess with the timeline and he actually meets mm -hmm. his mother, his mother, this is a really twisted oh, he movie. His mother's like a babe, right? His mom is a babe. That's, or no, his mother tries to date him or something. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've she heard gets, that. Yeah, she gets the hots for Marty McFly. Gross. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's a little Oedipus complex thing going on there. Anyways, <laughs> so he is back in the past at this point, right? But he has to try and like correct the timeline with Doc. Gotcha. Okay. Eventually, I don't want to give it away. He goes back to present day, right? He has to go back to the future. Mm-hmm. But in Back to the Future 2, he actually does go to the future. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then he has to go back again. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Good so, history good history lesson for you there. Like a hit. So what would I do? Oh, Back to the Future. Yeah, I've always thought I would love to get my hands on a sports almanac. What? And then just like... You could under under the radar make a fortune. Oh, sports betting? Yeah. What's an almanac? Is that just like a yeah, scorecard of all the games? Yeah, just like a historical mm. breakdown of all the sporting events. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could go and just buy like Amazon <laughs> when it was a dollar. Yeah. But then I would have to raise funds through sports betting. Um. <sighs> <laughs> it always brings you right back. Time's a flat circle. Right. Oh boy, this went off the rails. <laughs> Um, but what would I do? Yeah. Sports almanac. Um, I don't know. Like there's no one that I want to meet. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Although I do I, love me some Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, I know. I thought you were going to say that. Did you think I was going to say that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would depend though. Although he had a pretty hard life. Yeah. So I don't know. It depends on when I caught him. <laughs> um, how about you? What would you do? I, I have no idea actually. So you asked know. the question. Yeah. And I did. Yeah, and, and I didn't have had, an answer. Right? And, and, and you had no. And the whole idea. time you were talking, I was like, "Oh no, he's gonna ask me. He's gonna ask me." <laughs> so you weren't even listening to me, were you? <laughs> no, you sports almanac. Ulysses S. Grant. I was listening, but I was panicking while I was listening. Yeah, that's basically how I conduct all these podcasts. It's just a lot of panic, trying to listen, <laughs> <laughs> trying to make sure I've got a question coming up next. Yeah. No. I'm oh my kidding. god. Yeah, I bet. No. You know the one. The ones like this are just like fun. Like you just. Mm-hmm. You know, she just had like so many interesting things to talk about. Easy to talk to. That was a good one. That was a good one. Need she more, was great. Need more like those and less like Noah Savage. <laughs> we'll find out if he still listens to these. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's all I have. I don't know. I feel like we're spinning our wheels here. <laughs> yeah. We nailed the takeaways. It's time to, it's time to wrap this one Nailed up. it. Um, okay, cool. Well, hey, actually, you know what? I'm going to say this. If you're enjoying the show please do leave us a rating review. But more importantly, um, if you enjoyed this episode and you have someone who you think would benefit in listening to it, please do share it with them. Um, And if you want to get help with mental health and wellness, uh, I am going to link to a couple resources, those referenced by Dr. Kensa Gunter on this episode. Um, So that might be a great place to start. Uh, But other than that, man. Should I, should I tease who we have next week? Oh, if you must. <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, Jason Kalipa. Yeah. CrossFit Games champion, entrepreneur, awesome. father, handsome devil. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. See ya.